you or someone you love needs help for an addiction, where do you turn? Foundations Recovery Network offers individualized treatment for the whole person. Our goal goes beyond short-term sobriety. We address substance abuse and co-occurring mental health issues together, providing a firm foundation for long-term recovery. The first step is often the hardest, but we're here with a free assessment, insurance information, and treatment options. Our confidential helpline is available 24-7, so call 877-714-1318 and discover the Foundation's Recovery Network difference today. Sober Guy family, thank you for tuning in today. Thanks to humans for bringing us in, and thank you for your continued support of the show. This is Seth Manter, and you are listening to the Tuesday episode of Sober Guy Radio. On today's episode, I'm talking with Julie Kraft. Julie is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's been working in the fields of addiction and mental health since 2008. She has provided counseling to veterans and their family members at the Veterans Affairs San Diego Healthcare System and has provided psychotherapy to individuals, couples, families, and groups in a community setting. In her current position, she treats clients struggling with both addiction and mental health concerns. Julie sees clients in her private practice treating such concerns as relationship, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. Julie also, along with Dr. Rebecca Williams, authored, authored, is that even a word? Authored? Do you author? Yeah, we co-authored. We did. (laughs) Co-authored The Gift of Recovery, 52 Mindful Ways to Live joyfully beyond addiction and the mindfulness workbook for addiction both uh great great gifts uh but before we get to julie be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com there's a bunch of resources there you could find all our past episodes and you could get information on upcoming live shows and events also if you wish you can hit me on instagram at soberguyseth or you could email me at seth at that Also, this will be the last announcement. This Friday, we'll be hosting our very first live podcast event at the Phoenix Theater in Petaluma, California. We'd love for you to come out and spend the evening with us. We'll be joined by special guest TJ Woodward. TJ is the author of best-selling book, Conscious Being, and is the author and creator of Conscious Recovery. We'll be talking recovery, some mindfulness stuff, telling some jokes, uh, and most definitely sharing some good laughs. So uh, if you're going to be in the area, please come out and check that out. You can get tickets at thephoenixtheater.com or also thatsoberguy.com. So Julie, what's up? It's an honor to have you on today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I kind of want to come to that event though. Yeah, yeah, you should. Um, <laughs> Sounds amazing. Uh, yeah, you should come check it out. It's going to be a good time. It's uh, it's going to be our very first one, so it's going to be um, super raw. It's at the the Phoenix Theater in Petaluma. It's a super super cool old school punk rock venue in Petaluma. There's a lot of history behind it. There's they've had all kinds of um, artists there, and it's it's got a great story too. It's I think this place has burnt oh, down like three or four times, and been oh rebuilt God. yeah so it's if if that's yeah. not recovery i do not know <laughs> exactly. where it is. that's right 
built from the ground up again. I yeah. Love it. Yeah. Super, super cool. Yeah. It's going to be going to be a good time. So, um, so Julie, I just, you know, um, obviously we've, we've chatted a little bit through emails. I, I had the opportunity to read, um, some of your books, uh, on a recent backpacking trip. So I just want to uh, give you this opportunity to, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, and then, you know, also tell us what drew you to those of us that are in recovery and the work that you are doing today. Yeah, thanks. Well, you gave me a great uh, intro here, so I won't tell too much about my career. But, um, but yeah, I've always, always been drawn to working with uh, addiction and recovery. It's just such a powerful place to be. And honestly, um, I think therapy, sometimes uh, the process is quite slow and people's progress is slow, and that's all great and beautiful. Uh, but when I watch someone get sober, the change can be so profound so quickly. It's like just such an unbelievable thing to witness and, and to get to be a part of. So um, I've, I've just absolutely loved the miracles that I get to see of people um, who, you know, change their addictive behaviors and then find like all these doors opening for them and, and things just start to move in this really amazing direction. So, um, so definitely drawn, drawn to the field. And it's something I've been doing for a long time now. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that's some good stuff right there too. I know that, uh, you know, for me, um, going through, you know, through my own addiction and, um, getting into recovery and starting this path of sobriety, um, just the life changes that I've seen in myself. And then, you know, I've been, I'm really close to a couple of people that are now in recovery, um, and it's super, super awesome to see the wholesomeness or the, 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 the fact that we come back to our natural self, our natural being, yeah. I truly believe that, um, it Absolutely. is a miracle. It's, it's most definitely a miracle. And, you know, some of us, um, that struggle with this stuff, uh, with, with addiction and, 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 you know, depression and anxiety and the whole plethora of, of, you know, mental um, and social illnesses, you know, we don't, we don't, we lose who we are and, and to be able to mm -hmm. come back to that, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good deal. Um, so an amazing thing. Yeah. Super. Uh, and I'll just share with the listeners, um, you know, super pumped when, when you reach, when you, um, did reach out to that sober guy, I was like, Oh yes, super pumped to have Julian. I got to talk, want to talk some mindfulness because this is something, mm -hmm. Um, mindfulness practice is something that I have most recently integrated into my um, journey of, of sobriety and recovery. And, and over the past, you know, just six or seven months, it's been, it's been life changing for me. Um, so super, super stoked to have, have you on the show today. Um, so for the listener out there that doesn't know what mindfulness practice is, could you give us your um, understanding of what what the what is the word mindfulness? What does that mean? Yeah, sure. And I'm sure you know most of your listeners, even if they're not practicing it, they've heard it, right? Because it's a real buzzword right now. Um, it feels a little bit like on trend, which is funny because it's actually thousands and thousands of years old. So it's hard to be trendy when you've been around that long. Um, but it is gaining in popularity. Um, beyond those who practice Buddhism, which is really where it originated. Uh, and that's because, you know, well, I'll talk a lot about, about the benefits of mindfulness, but to bring it back to what you asked, um, essentially mindfulness is bringing your full attention to the present moment without judgment. 
and that last part, the without judgment, I think is an important piece that sometimes people forget about. Um, that it's you know not only when we're having a pleasant experience, right? And meditation itself or mindfulness isn't necessarily always pleasant, um, but we try to bring this lack of judgmentalism to um, the present moment. So whatever is arising for us in the present moment, whatever happens to be that experience, our emotional experience, our physical experience, um, internal, external, we bring a lot of acceptance to it um, and a lot of curiosity to the experience rather than, um, you know, placing a label on it, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, and really just trying to stay in the here and now and be present with whatever arises in the moment. Yeah, and and one thing that I love um, that you bring up is is uh, being in present moment without any judgment. Um, one thing that I've really tried to to focus on is that um, you know the feelings that I that I have at any given time. Um, you know, there's there's a couple of things that remain constant with those. Is that uh, a it's not personal. Um, mm-hmm. the feelings the feelings that I have aren't aren't an attack on on my being. Um, and two, the, um, one of the most, um, profound, um, things is that they are not permanent, that Mm -hmm. whatever feeling I'm having at any current moment or whatever state I'm in at any current moment will, will pass, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Um, so that's been, that's been a, a great awakening for me. Um, you know, obviously I'm not excellent at it by any means, but it's, it's most definitely brought, um, to light, you know, that, um, I don't, I don't really know what I'm getting at, but it's, it's brought to light that the feelings that I'm having, um, you know, are based off of outer circumstance, you know, a lot of the stuff Mm -hmm. I don't have control over it. So that's, yeah that's super, um, super important to, to. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, sometimes all it takes for me to get that important shift in perspective is to say like, this is temporary. Like just remind myself, like it's all temporary, right? It's all transient. It's going to pass. And that's why, um, I think some of my favorite mindfulness meditation exercises are ones where you kind of breathe deeply and allow your thoughts to come and go without attaching to them or kind of following them around. So a lot of times, right, we have like a thought and then there's 10,000 thoughts that quickly follow. Uh, But if we can kind of breathe deeply, eyes closed, and just, you know, notice that a thought has arisen in the mind and not chase it and not, um, you know, compound it with a million others, but just kind of watch it like a cloud floating by in the sky. Um, that's called a thought diffusion exercise, just really letting that pass, because thoughts are also very temporary. We don't have to attach to every thought that pops into our head, and learning to practice that, I think, is also really powerful. Yeah, for sure, and you know, something else that's super um, exciting to me about this whole mindfulness practice, and it's 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 so true, right? Like, it's been around for 2,500 years, right, and it's it's crazy that I'm like, Oh my God, it's so new. You know what I mean? Cause it's, <laughs> um, but it's like, yeah. I don't today, like I get to feel, I get to have those feelings of, um, sadness and sorrow and not suffer over them. Um, I don't mm-hmm. have to turn to the, the booze or the drug to drown those feelings away. And that's something that I have always remained constant in one thing that I'm so grateful that my sobriety has brought me is my 
ability to feel, whether it's happiness, sadness, um, whatever it is, is that I, I get to feel today. And then, you know, with, with my mindfulness practice, um, that I, you know, try that I, I'm trying my hardest. It's practice, right? It's something that, um, I have to continually stay on top of, um, is I get to watch those feelings come and go. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's super, super, um, it's super invigorating for sure. For sure. Absolutely. And one, so one thing that I, um, and am, am, am currently struggling with, um, and I, I think that, you know, a lot of the listeners out there struggle with this too, is, is being in present moment. And I'll just bring up mm-hmm. something that happened last night, for example. Um, I had just come off of the mountain on this, like super high was, out in the middle of nowhere with my wife, um, my stepdad, and my wife's dad. And we had this just amazing time, super pumped. Um, so we finally, we got home and the first thing I did was I picked up my work phone and, oh. <laughs> yeah, and opened up, yeah. my, yep, opened up the emails. Yeah. And of course there was the one email in there that just irritated the crap out of me, right? my wife looked at me and she just, you know, she kind of shook her head and she was like, Mm -hmm. you know, Seth, this is, we're only, you know, we're only going to get a couple more hours because we both live pretty busy lives together. And you're going to spend this time that we have together wrapped up in your work shit that you have no control over over right now. And she was so right. You know, it was one of those things that I had lost that attraction to, present moment and was already planning for the next step. So that's something that, uh, yep. you know, that I worked on that I get, that I, that I, I noticed it. I noticed I was failing out it. And today, yeah. um, whether it was a conversation that I was having with, um, one of my reports or one of my coworkers, um, you know, that's where I was at, at that present moment was in that conversation. So, yeah. um, Thank you for that, um, for reminding yeah. you know, the present moment is, uh, is key. So what I want to ask you, Julie, is mm-hmm. what, what, do, what do you um, recommend to stay or how to stay in present moment? Like, how do we, how do we stay there? Oh, God, that's such a great question. I, I think my honest answer, and I'm not an expert you know, and I'll be all expert in this either. I don't, I don't really know anybody who is. We're all just kind of in practice and kind of learning and growing. Um, but what I try to remind myself is that meditation, for example, because uh, I always remind my clients of this, it's not about the mind doesn't wander away, right? It's about learning to draw it back. Like we're going to notice that like the mind scampers off, like you're, you know, in the middle of a meditation or I'm guiding a client through some kind of a breathing exercise. And yeah, the mind's going to scamper off and do its thing. It's just about noticing that like you did. Right. And gently inviting your attention back to the here and now. And that's the practice, like invite it back, invite it back. And for me, functionally, what, what seems to work for me um, to get grounded in the present moment again and again when I need to um, bring myself back is to use the five senses. That's personally for me um, really, really helpful. So that would be something as simple as um, if I'm, you know, in this conversation with you and I find myself starting to wander off, doing something like, you know, touching the fabric of the chair that I'm sitting on, 
and just noticing for a moment like what that feels like. Um, I might notice the color um, of the chair that I'm sitting on or the carpet or the walls and just like really attend to that. Like, where am I right now? What's happening right now? I might tune into like the caliber of your voice and try to just kind of drink that in and, and look at that and be with that. Um, so kind of what's happening in this space um, externally or internally um, and just to kind of bring it back, do that little check-in. Um, and for me, I tend to be very verbal as well. Um, obviously, I wrote a couple of books. I think I'm just very verbal in my world. Um, so repeating some kind of a phrase to myself, like, be here now. Uh, just be here now. This is my moment. I am in this moment. You know, just kind of bring myself back. So, um, you know, not beating ourselves up when we scamper away in our mind and we're not present, that's bound to happen. Just really taking the time to notice that. And again, just draw ourselves back as much as we can. Yeah, no, that's uh, the five senses. That's, that's super, super helpful. I know one thing that, uh, that I try and do, and and this is something that, you know, I, I share with um, pretty much everyone that I come into in contact with on a daily basis is, when we, when we tend to get outside a present moment, the, the phrase, look at your feet comes out. It's something that mm-hmm. I learned when I was in recovery, um, is to take a quick glance down at my feet and sometime quick, mm-hmm. um, could be 10 minutes for me. Cause I enter into that, you know, that short meditative state to where I look at my feet, close my eyes, realize, okay, here and now, this is all I have. This is pretty much the only thing that is um, a for sure thing is, is right now. And, and for some reason Mm. that that brings me back, but the, the five senses, uh, for sure, that's, that's super, super helpful. Um, so I wanted to talk about meditation because this is, this is Mm -hmm. something that's also, you know, been new to me. I've, I've talked about it a little bit on the show and I've gotten some questions about it and, you know, I've, I've been holding these questions for you, um, Julie, oh, you, you and, <laughs> you and uh, Rebecca, you guys both spoke yeah. about meditation so eloquently. Obviously, you know, it is a, um, it's a practice for sure. And mm-hmm. in the, um, um, in your book, The Gift of Recovery, um, you guys talk about meditation not being easy. So kind of mm-hmm. talk about what, what does it mean to meditate and what is, what, like, what is meditation? Yeah. Okay. So essentially when I think of meditation, um, I think about sitting still basically, um, for starters, right. Finding a quiet space and allowing yourself to be in stillness. Um, because I I think it resonate with this, um, you know, with your work phone and everything that like, Stillness is not something we're accustomed to right now. Like we're always on the go. There's always like the flashing lights of the phones and the screens, et cetera. And like this, you know, getting pinged all the time. Like stillness is kind of foreign to us in in our current world. And I think that's causing a great deal of stress. Um, So meditation is a a real contrast to that. It is about finding a quiet space. It doesn't have to be a fancy meditation room. It doesn't have to be a yoga studio. It is just a, a quiet space, as quiet as you can find. Um, to sit and really be still. Um, The next step is really to kind of, for most people, to close the eyes, right? Uh, For some people, that's uncomfortable, uh, in which case you're welcome to, like, do a gentle gaze to the floor, just allowing the eyes to relax. Um, But most people do kind of close the eyes and just breathe. That is the starting place. Breathe and see what arises in that moment. 
Um, and of course, there's a whole variety of ways to do this, right? Um, I personally love guided meditation. So listening to someone else kind of guide me um, either to like a peaceful place or a peaceful scene or, um, you know, to some kind of deeper work. Um, but it is possible to just really sit for starters for one minute, two minutes, five minutes, kind of maybe set an alarm for yourself and say, you know, for these next five minutes, I'm just going to sit and breathe and notice what arises for me. Um, and that really is a meditative practice. That's how it starts. Yeah. And I think one thing that's super cool too, that you talk about is that, you know, obviously it's not easy. Um, and then it doesn't have to look a certain way, right? It right. doesn't, there, there's, um, there's, there's no way to do it right. And there's no way to do it wrong. Um, it's, exactly. it's, it's really connecting with um, present moment. And one thing that you say is, is sitting still like that could be, mm -hmm. that's one of my heart, the biggest challenges um, mm -hmm. in meditation. And obviously, mm -hmm. you know, it, it being a practice, right? Like I don't have to be perfect at it, but it's, it's, it's getting right. easier with, with time. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and then one, one thing, um, that I, that I also like that you touch on or that you, you and Rebecca touch on in the book is that all experiences are created equal. Um, right. which is, you know, I, I actually, uh, got to read that, um, sitting up on top of the mountain the other day. And it was, it was, you know, mm. I actually read it a couple of times because it was, it was, yeah. yeah. And that one, I think for me has been like hard to digest. Like how is, how is it that like you know, when I'm feeling good, that's equal to when I'm feeling stressed, you know, um, but I, this kind of greater understanding and acceptance of like, it is what it is, like, this is what the present moment is offering to me right now, uh, and not resisting that, just kind of accepting and rolling with that, noticing it, bringing attention to it, and then letting it go, you know, because it is temporary, like you pointed out, um, and I think that's really, really powerful, and it's important for people who are just kind of starting to meditate, not to bring down those judgments and criticisms and um you know of themselves and of what's happening like this isn't relaxing or this isn't working right if you find yourself distracted that day if you find yourself you know your mind is wandering off so much it's so hard to bring it back to the moment like okay like that's where you're at today that's what your meditative practice brought you today and that's something that you looked at and you sat with it and okay you know and that's where you're at and really um you know, letting yourself have that without the criticisms, I think is so important. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, some of my best days um, in my practice are not the days that I sit for 30 minutes in the morning. They're usually the days where I um, meditate for short periods of time, but multiple times throughout the day. Um, so mm -hmm. it doesn't, like you say, it doesn't have to be a a certain way. Like I don't have to sit yeah. every morning. Um, and I try to, you know, but sometimes that gets, uh, gets interrupted with, you know, outside situations and I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, if, yeah. if I were to get, um, feel some sort of way about my meditation getting all screwed up <laughs> because the dog was barking <laughs> at the cat outside or whatever, you know, it's, it goes yeah. against pretty much everything that, uh, I'm, I'm trying to practice for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing I kind of want to point out along the same lines is that um, mindfulness, you know, doesn't necessarily have to mean meditation. I think meditation is an incredibly wonderful and important part of that. It can guide you towards a more mindful life. Um, but there are other ways to be mindful as well. So um, something like yoga, which you and I talked about before, um, you know, that incorporates 
mindfulness and it's you know a little different from meditation right like it, it can incorporate uh, mindfulness into a yoga practice um, and then for me you know kind of similar to your you know few minutes throughout the day um, one of my favorite ways to be mindful is to take an everyday mundane task and do it with full presence so like take a shower like with full awareness and like the sensations of the water and the feel of the soap and like really being there for that things that usually we're doing mindlessly right like we're checked out in our heads while we're going through the process of washing the dishes or driving um, or eating for a lot of us we talk about mindful eating in the book because I think that's such an important uh, gateway to greater, greater mindfulness um, but really to kind of just make that an intention for the day to kind of like tie your shoes mindfully, like notice the way that that feels, notice the steps that you go through and how your hand feels and how the shoestring feels, you know, um, and just to really be intently present with that, I think is another way to kind of increase mindfulness. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, that's a great point, right? Like you don't have to be in, um, you don't have to be, you don't have to meditate to be, uh, to enter into mindfulness practice. Um, you know, it's, I, th I think, you know, us as addicts and alcoholic alcoholics, we like to uh, complicate things, um, you know, and it's like, okay, so if I'm going to be in this mindfulness practice, I need to meditate. I need to go and buy all the Buddha statues. I need to have a meditation room, a meditation map. Most definitely, um, you know, and I've, I've learned that because that's where I was at at the very beginning. You know what I mean? That I had to have this perfect place. And you know, I don't, I don't have to meditate every day just to be in a mindfulness practice for sure. So I, I, I greatly appreciate, um, that you bring that to light, right? Because the meditation, um, you know, it's a whole different, it's a whole different level. Like people may not be comfortable doing it. Right. And it's not mm -hmm. to start yeah. out, uh, to start right. out. With. It's most, it's most definitely not. Um, absolutely. So I wanted to talk about the breath a little bit um, and mm. talk about what the breath tells us when we're lonely, uncertain, stressed, irritable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So what is, what is it that the breath tells us and what does that mean to focus on the breath? Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's probably my, my favorite thing. I really do um, kind of stand in awe of the breath because it, it's something, it's so powerful. It's something that is so healing and it's also just happening for us all the time. Like I, you know, personally, spiritually, I really like the idea that I'm being taken care of somehow, that there's like something that's like, I can just trust and there's safety in the universe. Like things are flowing the way they're supposed to. And for me, breathing is like a real touch point for that. Um, that I'm not thinking about it. I'm not purposely doing it. It's just happening. Like it's just happening right now. You're doing it too, Seth. Like we're both doing it. It's just happening for us and it's keeping us alive. Like it's, it's critical, but it's not something that I have to force. Um, so if I really do tap into the breath and really allow myself to like deepen the breath, like move that breath slowly and deeply into the belly and then release tension on the exhale and like feel the tension flowing out of my body. It really, I can tell right away that like there's calm waiting for me in focusing on the breath. Like it's extremely grounding because the breath is always available to me. It's always accessible. Um, and I can really harness the power of it by attending to it, by paying attention to what's happening all the time outside my awareness, um, bringing my awareness to the breath. Um, to me, is such an 
it is just such a powerful experience. Did I answer your question? I got rambling on that one. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> um, I think, you know, the biggest thing is that, like you say, like we're always breathing, um, yeah. no matter, no matter what we're doing. And for me, when I, when I am focusing on my breath or when I lose focus of my breath, um, it's those moments that I'm most irritable. You know what I mean? Like I, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I get, um, to a place to where I'm not mindful at all, you know? And it's, it's one of those things that I've really learned over the past couple of weeks. Um, when I do start feeling those inner temperatures rise is to mm. take a deep breath, let it out, take another one, let it out. And it's something that, you know, I, I use, um, in times when I'm anxious and times when I'm nervous, um, yeah. especially in times when I'm feeling overwhelmed for sure. Um, mm-hmm. and then lonely yeah. and depressed, right. Um, yeah. because I still deal with those things today. Just, sure. excuse me, just because I'm sober, right. Doesn't mean that, uh, normal, normal stuff doesn't happen to me. Like I still, still have the, the, the shit that comes, that comes oh, my yeah. way. All the feelings, all yeah. the feelings. Yep. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so when I do draw it back and when mm-hmm. I do bring it back, um, and start to focus on my breath, it's, it's most definitely, um, it brings me back to center really is what is, yeah. is how I explain it. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, you mentioned loneliness. I, I talked about this in, in the gift of recovery, but I, if we really can, tune into the breath and kind of get a sense of breathing and how it connects us to all living things essentially right like especially plant life like we're exhaling they're inhaling like they're exhaling we're inhaling like the trees plants like it's it's such a connected experience I think you know if you can do it in that really intensely spiritual way there's something that like kind of banishes loneliness in for me that you know, to know that you're just so connected to everything else. Like you're, you're never actually isolated in the human experience. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Like I, um, I don't, I don't really know what to say to that, but the way that you explain <laughs> that, right. Like it's, it's so true, right. That, um, just being connected to, to a, another human being or an animal, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you could not be, lonely and not have any Mm -hmm. of those things around you right so that's so awesome Mm -hmm. um, that you talk about that that your breath connects you basically to earth or to plant life or to trees like that Mm -hmm. is um and i just actually uh highlighted that little paragraph in the book because i'm gonna i'm gonna use that that's that's good stuff right there i I greatly appreciate you um bringing that to light um Yeah. yeah Yeah, I'm kind of taken away by that one right now. That's awesome. That's good stuff. That's great. <laughs> um, so I did want to talk about a little bit about um, telling others about your recovery. We get a lot, a lot of mm-hmm. questions about this, and there is, um, you know, for some for some reason or another, uh, kind of a, a stigma that surrounds mm-hmm. <clears throat> that surrounds addiction and um, drug addiction, you know, whether it be the stigma on the addict or the alcoholic, um, or the stigma faced by family members, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I've had the opportunity to have my mom and my wife on the show. Um, 
you know, and they didn't really, really express, you know, that, that they were ashamed or whatever of me, but I, I get a lot of, um, listeners that, you know, ask us like, how do I deal with this? How do I share with others that I'm in recovery? Um, and you guys talk, uh, touch on that in the gift of recovery. And that's something that I'd like, I'd like for you to share with us, Julie. Yeah, no, I know that's a tricky area for sure. Um, choosing when and how to disclose. And then I think the other piece you're touching on is kind of accepting and sitting with whatever people's reactions are going to be because we can't control that part, right? Um, So really having to do some emotional work ourselves that kind of grounds us. Um, So if we do get hit with the stigma, the judgment, um, you know, other people's fears kind of projected onto the situation, can we still hold our center? Can we, can we sit with that? Can we know what's theirs and what's the stigma of the culture we're living in? Um, and that it isn't personal to us. Like you, you kind of talked about earlier, um, not personalizing the feelings and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so we talk in the book about being really mindful in your choices about who you disclose to. Um, so I know a lot of times or sometimes people are early in recovery and kind of want to shout it from the rooftops. Like they're stoked, they're sober, they're ready to tell everybody, um, you know, want everybody to kind of know what it's like. And, um, you know, some people have that experience and we really have to kind of breathe and be patient and be really cognizant of our choices, kind of who, who gets to have this piece of information because it is um, a very personal and sensitive area. So with anything that's personal and sensitive, I guess we get to choose our safe people um, and then we choose, you know, the appropriate time and place to disclose. Um, hopefully, you know, really planning in advance, I think, is important. If there's someone, um, I'm going to use the, the example of dating because I think that's something that's particularly difficult for my clients in recovery. Um, it's kind of, you know, learning to date in recovery and kind of how, how and when do I broach the subject here. Um, so really kind of planning in advance, like there's something I wanted to talk to you about, um, you know, if and when the time feels right. Um, and really sitting, you know, planning a quiet space, um, planning a good opportunity. Um, this isn't like a midnight conversation, um, you know, when everyone's kind of tired and stressed. This is something that, you, you know, you want to think about, um, you know, choosing the timing for, um, you know. And then again, I like, I think the most important point part is doing our own work, um, around disclosing so that we can decide um, to feel okay about whatever's coming our way, to not personalize it and to kind of um, let people have their reactions, let people have their initial reactions, right? Because we're not going to go, oh, like you looked freaked out. That's it. Like, I guess you're not a safe person, right? We have to give people room and space to have their reactions, to have their feelings, to have their stigmas, and then to move through those, right? So it's not a one-time conversation. I think it's something that um, you have to be willing to revisit and give people a little bit of grace um, for them to explore this because they, they might not know anything about recovery, right? They might not know what that means except for what they see on the sitcoms, right? Like, because I, I always tell my clients this, like if, you, if you're watching a sitcom or a drama and somebody like announces that they're an alcoholic in recovery, it's about three episodes before they relapse, right? Yeah. So that's what people, right? Always think that character, you're like, oh, he's doomed, right? Yep, yep. Um, so that's, that's what the general public sometimes thinks about being in recovery, that you're like always at risk, that there's like drama is going to follow you everywhere, right? And like, granted, there's always a risk of relapse. Of course, we try to be aware of that um, and plan accordingly. But it doesn't mean that like you're like 
you know, you being in recovery obviously means like growth and health and being self-aware and all these amazing qualities. It doesn't mean that you're like a constant risk for um, some kind of disaster. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, you bring up a lot of, a lot of good topics there. Um, number one, being, being mindful of who you're going to share that information with, because, you know, especially in the very beginning of my recovery, like I didn't want anybody to know like that I was in recovery. Mm-hmm. Although everyone knew that that's exactly what I needed and where I needed to be. Um, But, you know, I think the the biggest um, concern that I had with telling people was what were they going to think of me? Um, And eight years down the road, right? Like I still am faced with that. You know, if I verbalize Mm. it, what is this person going to think of me? And I think one thing, one thing that helps me, um, on the daily is really what that person thinks of me is none of my business for one. Yes. Um, yeah. For two, um, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't help or hinder. It doesn't, it's, it's being in recovery is not who I am. Right. Like it's, I, I wasn't, I wasn't meant to be in recovery. I didn't plan this out. It's just the mm-hmm. way that um, the cards were kind of dealt to me, right? And it's nobody's fault. It's not my fault. It's just kind of how it rolled, how how my life mm-hmm. played out. Um, yeah. Really, really having a lot of grace on myself. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, something that I, I talked with my father um, just yesterday, you know, that... Um, we had a discussion about me, you know, and I'm just going to say it about me and my uh, mom's um, podcast. And we had a discussion. I had to tell my dad, I was like, look, I mean, it's nothing. This is nothing against you. It's not, you are not at fault. And I think that's one of the biggest things to remember, you know, for, for those of yeah. us that um, do, you know, enter into recovery or, you know, even the alcoholic or addict out there that still struggles, like, you are not at fault. And I think that, uh, that is huge. Um, one thing for me that I, I'm a big proponent of, um, and this is just something that works for me. I'm very open about my recovery. Um, I talk, um, to strangers about it. I'll talk to the waiter at the, at the restaurant. Mm -hmm. One thing I found is that, you know, humor, humor really, really helps out. Um, it's just kind of something for me, but you know, obviously the biggest thing, like, what someone thinks of me is none of my damn business for, for real. Right. And I think that that is, is, is super, super, um, powerful for sure. Absolutely. And I think too, I think you brought up something else that's like really critical is that I do think we internalize a lot of the ideas of our culture. So if there's a cult, if there's a stigma in the culture, then there's a stigma in us. Right. So like there can be, are you know your own feelings about being in recovery and what that means like there might be you know for listeners like you might have your own thoughts about what it means that you were addicted what it means that you're in recovery and they might not all be positive and being willing to like look at that I think sometimes we can lean on others to respond well to us because we're criticizing ourselves do you know what I mean like like I need you to have a good reaction because I'm already judging myself somehow Um, And so to depersonalize, like, like you're saying, like one of the steps to depersonalizing is getting really honest about, um, you know, what might be going on deep inside, you know, um, some judgments or some belief systems we have that aren't supportive of, of where we're at. Like, um, 
you know, can, can we feel proud and good and strong um, about the fact that we you know, had a problem, noticed it, uh, we're willing to do the hard work of getting better because it's, it's insanely hard work. Like recovery is no joke, you know, as, as you know, um, showing up for every feeling and, you know, not checking out for those and, and learning how to do that is, is intensely hard work. So, you know, I, I would love for listeners and, and for all of my clients to like try to harness feeling really positive about what it means to be in recovery, to be a person who um, has struggled and a person who was willing to acknowledge that struggle and do some really hard work to try to come out the other side. Yeah. You bring up a great point. Um, this, you know, <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. Recovery, sobriety, um, new lifestyle. Um, it's, it's, it's most definitely something that I have to work on on a daily basis. Um, and I know, mm-hmm. I know when I'm not connected because, um, my mm-hmm. mind, my mind goes crazy. I go right back into those, um, addictive behaviors. Um, mm-hmm. I start feeling tired, irritable, and discontent. Like I have all of those feelings as long mm-hmm. as I'm connected to um, my recovery, to my mindfulness practice now, uh, to community, um, you know, I'm good to go. Right. But all of that yeah. stuff, like you said, Julie, it comes with, um, hard work and dedication. And I know, mm-hmm. um, the moment that I, that I start, stop working at it, um, is the moment that I'm going to be in trouble. Um, yeah. so, you know, I think that that's, I, you, you bring up, you bring up a, a great point and, you know, the, the, the joys that come out of it are, you know, things that, I could have never ever imagined what have happened in my life. You know what I mean? Like today, um, you know, I get to deal with, um, you know, my, my mother being sick with love and compassion and I get a, I get to go out and backpack and do all this great, amazing stuff. Um, all without, um, drugs and alcohol. And the reason I bring, Mm -hmm. um, my mother up is, you know, I don't want to put the facade that everything is so great because it's still just life, right? Like I get to deal with it yeah. in a different way today. And, yeah. um, you know, I think that's one, one thing that is, is, is super important that, um, mm-hmm. I t- that the listeners here, you know what I mean? Like this is yeah. just because we get sober and enter into recovery or change our lifestyle. Um, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that life doesn't happen. It's just, we get to deal with it in a different, in a different way. Um, Absolutely. so Julie, I want to talk about, uh, the gift of recovery and the mindfulness workbook. What was the, um, the, uh, driving force behind these two wonderful books that both you and, uh, Rebecca Williams co-authored? Yeah, so um, really the initial driving force was uh, Dr. Rebecca Williams. She's um, a fantastic clinical psychologist at the VA in San Diego, director of one of the clinics there. And um, I was working with her as an intern at the VA, and uh, she and I were, you know, she was supervising me uh, and my clinical work, so I would talk to her about clients, and um, she knew I was enthusiastic about um, recovery, and um, she let me know that she had really been formulating an idea for a book for a long time um, where she really wanted to touch on loss and how loss can exacerbate addictive behaviors or lead to addictive behaviors, and then, of course, that addictive behaviors themselves will stimulate further loss. 
Um, so that was something that was really resonating with her. Um, and she felt like it hadn't been touched in any of the books that she was reading about recovery. Um, so that became the mindfulness workbook for addiction. We, um, we collaborated on that and, um, really felt like a workbook was exactly where we wanted to be at that time. Just the, it's full of worksheets. It's full of activities. It's like really very hands-on, um, so we try to like teach a little bit, talk a little bit, and then have people, you know, fill out a worksheet and really do some of the deeper work for themselves um, and really think about the losses in their lives and um, and how the addiction has kind of played in. And we've had such a fantastic, fantastic feedback from that book. It came out in 2012. And um, it's really been such an amazing thing for me to know that there's so many people that have read it. I think it's sold about 45,000 copies. Um, and to me, those are, those are clients. Like I've never met them, but those are, I care deeply about my clients and those are, you know, maybe 45,000 clients that I've never gotten to meet, but because I poured my heart into that book, I'm connecting with them and maybe I facilitated their recovery a little bit. So that's just been incredible. And, um, the publishers then reached out to us a couple of years ago, asking us to write a follow-up, um, and kind of deepen, you know, the work that we had done with the mindfulness workbook and, um, then came the gift of recovery. So um, the gift of recovery is a little bit different. There's less writing exercises and a lot more um, mindfulness practices and meditations and other kinds of exercises that we suggest throughout the book. Um, but this one, we broke it down into 52 really small chapters. We really wanted people to be able to just like pick it up, read a couple pages and just grab something from it, like something they need, needed to hear, something that's going to kind of encourage them on their journey. Um, so that's kind of how we broke up this one. Um, we think of it as kind of like a pocket guide, just something you can flip open and, and hopefully um, it's going to deepen and um, improve your recovery. So, yeah. yeah. And, and the, the, thank you for that. Um, and I've actually, yeah. I am on exercise. Let me open up my little workbook here. Um, I'm in, I'm in the chapter two on my thoughts cool. and mm -hmm. yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's most definitely. So exercise 2.2. <laughs> um, that's where I'm uh -huh. at right now. And, and when I, when I started in that, I had that exact, like, Oh, <laughs> that that exact um, feeling, but yeah super super stoked to to work through um through this and i can't not that i can't wait to be done with it but i'm gonna be you know 100 honest i i i cannot uh, i can't wait to be done with it super super yeah. stuff in the in the um yeah. mindfulness workbook and then obviously um the gift of recovery the 52 mindful ways to live joyfully beyond addiction um you know, it's something that I got to, it's, it, it, it is most definitely a, a pocket guide. Um, it fit, uh, in my 52 pound backpack, uh, that I wore <laughs> up in the Plumas mountains this weekend. And one thing yeah. that I love is that, um, you know, you could open up to, you know, whether it be page 23 or page 153, um, no matter where you open up, there's some good stuff in there. And I think yeah, wasn't the wasn't the original intent right to do one of the um, chapters, if you will, per week, right, and then finish it throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, it's really. Um, I, I think people and hope people use it, however, is going to benefit them the most. But that is kind of what I what we envisioned, um, because I think the mindfulness workbook, like is so much about like getting down into the nitty gritty, like how does this come about? How do you prevent it from happening again? Like really that deep look at yourself. And then I, I thought of this book as like, like for a year, just kind of like 
getting to the next level of recovery. So like the fact that we call it 52 mindful ways to live joyfully beyond addiction, like it is just kind of like moving beyond it. Like it's, you're not so much in the addiction anymore as you are just like living a thriving recovery. Um, so I really like the idea of people like picking up a chapter, a couple pages and doing it, you know, and kind of focusing on that, having that be um, their intention for the week. And then we do have at the end of each chapter, there's um, each day of the week has an affirmation that you could do for that day um, that we recommend kind of putting into your phone and just like repeating throughout the day. Um, so yeah, it's a great, great thing to do it kind of week by week over the course of the year. So that's why that's 52. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good stuff. And I'm just going to share um, the affirmation that I was using today. Um, mm. This is on page 11 for Wednesday. I can understand my cravings and my urges and I don't have to act on them. Um, I said that first thing this morning when I woke up, I wanted, I've been struggling with donuts lately. Um, mm. I, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> I got, got out of the shower and the first thing I could think of was a, um, a buttermilk maple bar. And I was like, oh, I got to have it, right? <laughs> so that affirmation uh, about 5,200 times on my way to work. <laughs> and by the grace of whoever, my higher power, yeah. I did yeah. not pull into the donut store this morning. So that, Right on. Yeah, That's yeah, great. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Place, so. We talk a lot about, about sitting with urges in this book. I think that's really important because we have all kinds of them, whether it's donuts or anything else, right? Just being able to notice those and, and ride them out because they are also very temporary. And, and uh, we say in the book, you know, these are cravings, not commands a lot of times we used to respond to cravings as if they were a command, right? Like we didn't have a choice in the matter. Um, but yeah, just kind of sitting back and being willing to ride out those urges is such a great practice. Yeah. And then, and you know, the other, the other thing with the affirmation, I mean, it, it drew my mind away from, from mm. that buttermilk maple bar. Um, and it was yeah. great. I was like, I, I was super stoked when I got to work today. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I think I, I think I even told somebody about it. Like, yeah, dude, I was supposed to go to the donut shop, but, uh, <laughs> I had a little, little, uh, affirmation going on and, yeah. and I didn't, I didn't stop. So, uh, yeah. So this, yeah. the stuff in this book, Julie, um, that you and Dr. Rebecca Williams wrote, um, you know, it's, it works. It's, it, it's some good stuff. Um, yeah. so we're going to wrap this thing up, Julie. It's been, you know, it's obviously been an honor. Um, and one, one thing that I absolutely love about doing the podcast is, you know, that I get to make connections with, um, awesome people that are doing amazing things out there, helping, um, helping, just helping others. Like it's so, it's so admirable. Um, and one question that I like to ask, um, all my guests is, you know, for the addict out there, the alcoholic out there, um, or the non-addict or alcoholic that struggles with just the shit that life throws at us, depression, loneliness, mm. drug addiction. Um, if you could give one word of advice, what would mm. that be? Do it have to be one word? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. No, okay. it could be, it could be, it could be, that's just, uh, yeah. that's just, uh, you know, <laughs> one word, advice. One okay, sentence, good. I was like, paragraph. Oh gosh, I'm not that clever. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this is going to be, again, a little bit spiritual, so um, I guess that's just where I'm at tonight, but um, I think try to remember that, like, you are 
whole and perfect exactly as you are. And like, mm. I know the word perfect, it doesn't always sit with me, but like, I really do visualize all of us as kind of like, we started off with this like perfect diamond inside, like just shining, like that's us, that's the true self. And it's unbreakable. But over the years, like junk and dirt and filth, it just kind of like covers every inch of it, right? Um, and for me, my idea of like recovery and for all of us, like getting whole again is just like gently wiping away the filth, like just gently cleaning one part that just starts to shine again and like peeling off the layers. So like to maybe just visualize that when you're feeling down, when you're you're feeling like things have just gone too far off track, like that diamond is just completely shining and solid inside of you. And it's just about peeling back those layers to find it. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And like I, you know, like I Mm -hmm. said, I I truly believe that um, the path of recovery is for us to discover our true self, our original self, what we were put on this earth to be, Um, you know, and, and I believe that through our domestication, um, like I like to call it, we get, we get covered up with all this shit. We Mm -hmm. become depressed, lonely, you know, anxious, alcoholics, drug addicts, we become what we're, what we're not supposed to be. And it's, it's most definitely not our fault. Um, it's, it's, it's our inability. Um, you know, it's my belief that it's our inability to, to deal with some of the things that, uh, life, life throws at us. All right, Julie. So it's been a honor, um, to have you on it on tonight. Um, I'm super, super grateful um, for the two gifts that you gave to me. And I hope, you know, that this podcast helps just one person out there who is struggling with drug addiction, alcoholism, loneliness, depression, um, any, any ill feeling. I hope that one thing that we said today covered uh, or covered um, in this in this podcast helps one person out there and if it does um, I think we've I think we've done our job and we've most definitely met the goals of Sober Guy Radio so Julie thank you so much for thank you and such a joy thank you and to you the listener out there thank you so much for tuning in today much love respect and keep your blood clean